0: Subscribe to the podcast Beyond Politics. They host some of the biggest names and smartest minds. Beyond Politics is from a former Democratic congressman who helped ignite Barack Obama's campaign and a former campaign manager and political columnist. They go beyond the usual chatter on politics, news, science, and books. It's politics and everything beyond. On Beyond Politics, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. broadcasting live on am 950 the progressive voice of minnesota and in the evening on wcpt 820 chicago's progressive talk it's the matt mcneil show for your tuesday matt and patrick here michelle griffin's going to join us uh, a little bit later on from the minnesota reformer talk about in minnesota at least the beginning of the session up here patrick how are we today uh, not doing too bad. I've been
1: holding down the fort all by myself You got, we got Brett, is,
0: Brett has decided to slack off more than <laughs> usual. <laughs> he works very hard. Uh, he is on vacation, so you are a grand poo out here. How many fires have we had to put out today? Uh, 212. Yeah, pretty standard day then on radio. <laughs> yeah. <it's, laughs> What are you whining about? That's normal. <laughs> <laughs> You're wearing your uh, your asbestos clothes, right? Good. All right, that's that will help you out with that. Um, so uh, it is Mardi Gras. Yeah, I never. I can't remember when. I remember last year, right before I think right before I started the Chicago uh, bit. Uh, last year, I went to Mardi Gras. Or I went to not Mardi Gras, New Orleans. I went to New Orleans and went down there with my wife. For, it was our anniversary trip. We did that down there. First time I've been down there. Did you ever make it down there? I think you were thinking about trying to go down.
1: I got there back in 2015. That's, right. That's and, uh, right. I only spent an afternoon there, but I did uh, wander around the quarter. Um, I still remember the smell very oh, yeah. vividly. Um, I had lunch at a place called Mother's, which is kind of one of the Mother's, legacy yeah. restaurants. I think it opened about 1940 or so. And, you no know, long line to get in, but it was worth it. you pull you had the pole boy I don't remember what I had. I know oh. I had gumbo because every that was kind of what the one thing that I had to try everywhere I went was gumbo and I think I had a ham sandwich there
0: no well, they do have that that's they have those stack sandwiches yeah. there, which are very solid at mother's um the um okay, and this was we were discussing this last night. There's two kinds of gumbo there is kind of the traditional um gumbo with tomatoes, and then there's the Cajun gumbo, which is okra. I am not a fan of the okra stuff. And don't get me wrong, I like okra, especially fried okra. It's tasty. But the okra gumbo, eh, I'm much more of the traditional tomato-based sauce there. And fill it with all sorts of critters. I love it. Oh, it's good stuff. The muffuletta sandwich down at the Central Market. The beignets down on Cafe Du Monde. Oh. If you haven't been, It's worth going, but Patrick gives you a little bit of a warning here, and I'm I back up Patrick a million days from Sunday on this one. There is a little bit. You walk out there in the morning at like eight in the morning to start your day, and you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, I've I've yeah, that's not a good smell, and and it's kind of they have the crews that must hose down those streets. Though I hope they're getting paid top dollar down there because that is that's going to be that's a job.
1: It'd be hazard paid to oh, deal geez. with that.
0: Oh, it it can't be it can't be pleasant. It really uh, it is a magnificent city. The arts down there are spectacular. The music, the music, the best Mardi Gras movie, by the way, the best Mardi Gras movie is Princess and the Frog. The Disney cartoon it is absolutely fantastic. It nails the music. It nails the culture. It, it's it is a wonderful film. I'm a big fan of that one. And, and it just, I, I, it, yeah, that is New Orleans. That is New Orleans. Although they say New Orleans and you don't say it like that. They get mad at you. it's New Orleans and don't say Nolens. No, New Orleans. That's yeah. There you go. Uh, the music spectacular. I mean, just the, the variety, the diversity. Um, I'm a big fan of Rory danger and the danger dangers, which are a very different kind of band, but they're down there. That's a New Orleans thing too and yeah i just it's great fun the the views the culture the the city the architecture the history all of it fantastic but it is a place where today well i mean during the show today patrick occasionally if you're watching the show he'll throw some beads at me and i'll expose myself so there you go it is it's a happy time happy mardi gras uh beads optional no we are not no no, no, no. Get ready for those screenshots. Only fans. Um, no, I I've <laughs> uh we will not be doing that today. I've been told informed there's a memo here from HR. Sweet Jesus, Matt, shut up. All right, that's uh, thank you. All right, I, I I HR is so helpful. But uh yeah, that it, it's it's a it's it. The encouraged drinking until you vomit and the, the the drug use down there is undeniable. But that's, I mean, it's a place for debauchery. And it's like Vegas. I mean, it's, you know, you can, you know, sure, there's some fun elements of Vegas. And, and uh, hey, I Vegas has got some real fun quirks to it. But it's also a vice town. And, yeah, you can't kind of escape that. So, but you know, a lot of people down there having a good time today because it, it is going to be an early Easter. I think it is the thirty-first. Is it the thirty-first? Is Easter March thirty-first? It's early this year. Um. So yeah, we have, Ash Wednesday starts tomorrow. You know, get ready to get ready to whatever you're giving up. And of course, this for me in Chicago. I want to hear from you too. We are getting into as a, as a Christian, one of my favorite times of the year, fish fry Fridays. Oh my, there is something ethereal about churches and their fish dinners and lovingly sculpted by elderly women in the basement of a church. Oh, I love it so much. It's always so good. So I want, I'm, you, you can let me know about your fish fry Fridays as they come up here because I'll be hitting them all throughout the entire rest of the month. February, March, oh, I'll be, I, I, I will be a happy man. You'll, you'll bury me with some tartar sauce on the side. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Have a wonderful and safe Mardi Gras. If you're going to go out and celebrate, uh, you know, have a wonderful and safe time with that. Um, all right. I want to start off. As well with uh, speaking of 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 vice, just I want to give everyone before you you before you this goes crazy because I have a feeling this story is going to go crazy here. We've got a new lethal disease out there. It's called Alaska pox. Now, if I'm Alaska, boy oh boy, you know no one ever criticizes Alaska. Uh, So to put your name on a, a lethal disease, I imagine you're just thrilled by that. Health officials in Alaska have identified the first known death linked to a recently discovered virus called Alaska pox. Since its discovery in 2015, seven Alaska pox infections have been reported, according to the State Department of Health. The most recent case was was identified in an elderly man who died last month. This is the first case of severe Alaska pox infection, resulting in hospitalization and death, the health department said in a release last week. The man had a weakened immune system because of a cancer treatment, which probably contributed to the severity of the illness that he was having. Experts say that the illness is often mild, that infections remain rare in humans, as the virus is primarily found in small mammal populations throughout Alaska. You know, I don't judge. But um, I'm going to presume it's because you're eating the small mammals. I'm going to hope that's because of the- <laughs> wow, there's about four jokes that just came to my mind that I cannot say on this radio station. Um uh I'll I'll go with uh with, with go with, with go with badger. Yeah, I'll go with that small mammal, the badger, not the one that's in the water with the tail. No, I'm gonna go with the badger. Hey Badger, how you doing? No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just no, no, no. Ugh. Six of the seven cases have been mild or self-limited, so the patient didn't even need to get any supportive care from a health care provider, said Dr. Joe, mm-hmm, state epidemiologist and chief of the Alaska section of epidemiology at the Alaska Department of Health. Still, there is a lot that isn't known about the Alaska pox, including how it spreads from animals to humans. Well, you know, it's, it's cold nights. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, nice pelt! Yeah, yeah. If, if you're if you're throwing the small woodland animals beads, I'm just going to you know, mardi gras. Who doesn't love it? But I think you're going down the wrong path here. I mean, I'm wondering. I'm dead serious when I say I'm wondering if this is is this are, are the people that are getting affected by this. Are these guys that are out in the middle of freaking nowhere that are eating anything that walks by the, the place. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen some of the TV shows. It's like, I found this, I I killed this blue jay. Now I'm going to make a pie. Really?
1: You know, who doesn't love blue jay pie? Oh, and I don't want to speculate, but I think just the lifestyles that some of these people mm. lead just kind of is, you know, whatever or they can get their gun trained on. Uh, is- yeah.
0: If Well, and, and you know, speaking of lifestyles, if people confuse you with a Sasquatch, you know, you know. Old spice. How about we go with that? You know? The virus belongs to the orthopoxia virus genus, which also includes better known viruses such as Chris Hemsworth. Uh, sorry. No, Chris Hemsworth is not a virus that is infecting people in Alaska. No. It's better known viruses such as the smallpox and Mpox. Remember Mpox? That was monkeypox. That uh, often infect mammals and cause skin lesions. So Alaska pox is related to them, and it's now jumping from animals to humans. Yeah, that's great. And just when I was saying to myself, I didn't uh, what was going to be, what was going to be my reason to not go to Alaska? Well, Alaska pox. Um is an old world virus they say it's an old world virus typically found in africa asia and europe it's very possible that the virus has been present in alaska for hundreds if not thousands of years well it is a big space and there's not many people out there so however more alaska pox cases coming to light does not mean the virus is becoming more prevalent in the state's small mammal population in recent years. No, it's coming more prevalent in the human population. Okay, I, all right, all right. I'm not a doctor here. But if all of a sudden you start seeing cases and we've got our first guy, you know, lose to, to Alaska Pox, this is becoming a slight problem. Now, does it warrant us shutting down the state? No. Does it warrant us, you know basically you know, masking and and scrambling like we did with COVID to try to find an Alaska Pox vir- uh, a vaccine or something like that. I, I don't know if that's really necessary. It is a little scary when they call it an old world virus because uh, if it it's something that hasn't been around for a while, how, how much ramp-up time will we need to figure out a way to fight it? But, uh, you know, the fact that we all of a sudden have more and more human beings being infected by the Alaska Pox I don't know if that's necessarily something we should just kind of brush to the side and say, uh, oh, we're not sure how many mammals are out there. All right. Just get go get some hamburger helper, okay? Stop eating the critters around you, you know, just for your own benefit, okay? No. <laughs> there is there is there do not use beaver in the beaver helper, okay? Just, just okay. We'll take a break. Come back. It's the Matt McNeil show. It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Tuesday, 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. The big deal last night uh, was Jon Stewart's return to The Daily Show. He is, if you didn't know, uh, it's been pretty popular. It's been something that was mentioned um, on the Colbert show that they did after the Super Bowl. He's been on a lot of the other different uh, networks as well. Um, he, He basically... they. And I don't quite know what's going on behind the Daily Show because I could have picked four or five of the hosts that they've had and put them in easily, and they would have been fantastic hosts. But they've just been somewhat—I don't know—they've been somewhat uh, hesitant at about you know where they're going to fall through with that. And so they're still in this kind of deciding stage, and 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 John Stewart's back on Monday nights only to do the show now. Last night, it's been interesting because there's been a lot of interesting reaction to what his message was last night. And I want to make sure you understand something about Jon Stewart that that was Jon Stewart beforehand. And that is that he did regularly take swipes at Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and, and John Kerry uh, through the years, you know, it, definitively. I mean, he had a, um, he had a pattern of, of, you know, not just piling on the right. And I think with his return last night, he wanted to remind people that he is not just a I rip on the right only kind of guy. And so he went out there and he took some swipes at Trump. He absolutely did. But he took by far more swipes at Joe Biden. But on one side, I understand what he's doing because, like I said, he's just trying to establish himself. This isn't going to be the Bash Trump channel. This is going to be the Bash Trump thing. I'm going to pick fights on both sides here because that's what I've always done. And Joe Biden is the sitting president of the United States. And so you can't just dismiss that little that little nugget of fact with it. The other side of it was he really, really went down the narrative path that a lot of conservatives have wanted to go down. First of all, he gave hers special count uh, the, the the special counsel uh, assessment of of Joe Biden's mental health, which once again, He's not a psychologist. He's not a mental health expert. He doesn't have, he's not a memory expert. He just basically took a swipe at Joe Biden and he kind of just skipped past that and went along with it. The other side of it is, you know, he, you know, he, you know, he basically spent most of his time bashing on Biden. And yeah, that's, yeah, if he wants to do that, that's what he wants to do. And the response I've seen on social media has been a lot of people are like, okay, do you not understand what we're facing here? And uh, to a point I agree with that. I do feel as if I understand why Jon Stewart did this, because once again I think he was trying to reestablish himself as this is not just the bash on on Donald Trump hour. This is going or half hour, this is going to be, you know, cutting it both ways. But at the same time, I did feel as if it got to a point where are you trying to basically get Donald Trump elected? Because it kind of felt like, you, you know, even though his whole thing was, what did he call, what do he call election 2024 antiques roadshow? I thought that was pretty funny. But no, I, I think that it was a little heavy handed. It is a parody show. It is a mock show that they make fun of the news and they have, like I said, always made fun of. Of the Democrats as well as Republicans, mainly the Republicans because the Republicans do more crazy stuff. After tonight's show, if next week's another, you know, just bash on Biden, yeah, I got to think that at that point, then yeah, maybe something else is going on here. I mean, it it did bug me that here he is starting this show, and at no point does he bring up him attacking Nikki Haley's husband for not being there part of his of her campaign as she is sta- he's currently stationed in Djibouti with the South Carolina National Guard on a military mission, and, and he doubled down on ripping on him for not being there, mocking the troops. He's mocking the troops. On top of that, you have Donald Trump saying that if NATO doesn't pay up, he's going to sick Vladimir Putin and Russia on them, and he's not going to do a thing to stop it. And... <laughs> And by the way, I was looking at the Washington Post today, the vast majority of the the NATO countries, you know, Poland actually pays more to their GDP than the United States does. So they're there, but the most majority are paying their bills. It's, it's just, as it's just, this seems to be orders from Vladimir to basically threaten the European Union. And I have zero doubt when, when he comes back, I don't know what you're talking about, biggest fan of NATO ever. And those were just – those are what you call low-hanging fruit. Those were there, let alone the attempts to basically get immunity from any of his crimes forever. The, the fact that, you know, the, the, insurre- the, 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 the insurrection case, the case in New York, um, the case in Atlanta, the case in Florida, the fact that he had all these boxes stacked in the hallways in Florida – there's all the low-hanging fruit, the E. Gene Carroll ruling, the fact that he himself, you know, and he did play Trump clips of Trump saying, "I don't remember any of these things," as well to basically kind of push back on the the idea that Joe Biden somehow is unqualified. And as a matter of fact, they had a, another point where he get brought in. Who is that weirdo from Arizona? She's the the one that ran for governor and lost. I can't remember. Off the top of my head, but she basically he, he she was saying he's not old. He's like he's seventy seven. He's old. He's just old. You just don't want you want the entire narrative to be Joe Biden's old, but not Donald Trump. No, they're both old. That's why the Antiques Roadshow joke was was a hit. But you've you've got him. They, although he did play the depositions where you know Trump is saying I don't recall. My God, just start playing some of the the clips from his speeches where he just seems to get lost and he doesn't seem to even know where he's at at times. He didn't do that. So, like I said, I I think part of this was him establishing himself as this is not just a one-sided deal. But as well, I do think that this was a little more heavy-handed, maybe because he's felt like, okay, here's Joe Biden, and maybe he's felt Joe Biden has gotten a pass, which he clearly hasn't. I mean I'll I'll be the first to say I I'm looking at the news media right now in this country and the news media in this country seems to have the mentality of you know, in July it will be he, Joe Joe B- Biden's a flawed candidate, and we're going to give Donald Trump a pass. And in in August it's going to be Joe Biden's a flawed candidate, and we're going to give Donald Trump a pass. And in September it's Joe Biden's a, a flawed candidate, and we're going to give Donald Trump a pass. And so October it's uh, Joe Biden's a flawed candidate, and we're going to give Donald Trump a pass. And then November, if God forbid Donald Trump wins, the first thing's out of their mouth is, "Well, boy, you Democrats sure had a flawed candidate." I'll go back to what I've said before. Joe Biden is an Arby's beef and cheddar. It's not the meal most of us want, but it still is food, technically. Donald Trump is actually a human crap sandwich. He's not even food. They're not the same. Let's remember that. I'm going to come back, talk about some other things, too. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on, on AM 950 and WCPT. Broadcasting in the evening on WCPT 820 Chicago's Progressive Talk and AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota in the afternoons. It's the Matt McNeil Show. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. So I wanted to also... All right. I, I have been waiting for the proverbial shoe to drop. Because... There, there, I know that there's going to be a social media campaign presented at, by so-called, I'm just a regular guy or a regular voter or I'm a Democrat and I can't tell you how much I'm going to I, – I want Donald Trump to win, that sort of thing. Now, I want to go back to, to 2015, actually, because I remember distinctly back in 2015 that I started noticing – on the social medias, these strange Democrats, uh, they're labeled Democrats, who basically were trying to make the argument, and they did unbelievably successfully on social media, primarily Twitter and Facebook, that there's no difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And I'd be saying, you're crazy. No, there's a lot of difference. And they, would describe, they, were, they were disguising themselves as upset Bernie supporters. And if you're like me and you like Bernie, the best thing you can do is send a message because they're not different. And I would challenge these people because the, the thing which was crazy was I, these were not exactly fly-by-night. It wasn't, you know, Jack one zero nine five nine five six seven nine five nine five six seven MAGGER <laughs> on the account. It was people that had been commenting and interacting on my accounts, which lean left, but seemed to be all of a sudden saying these very pro-Trump stances. That, and, and what I mean by pro-Trump is, once again, Hillary Clinton was actual edible food. Donald Trump was not. And it was clear that this was... it. it when I started confronting the people and saying, what are you doing, man? Now, of course there's a big difference. No, there's not. They're the same. Yeah. Well, either they were chronically being ignorant or there was something else going on. And the fact that I kept seeing this pop up, not just from one account, but like 20 accounts, That were just, and and had a lot of followers who were out there saying, you know, protest this time by not voting for either one of them. What's the worst that could happen? Well, now we know. But I remember after that election going up, I remember I stayed up all night long just saying, what did this country just do? And the next morning, one of the first things I did is went and tried to find some of those accounts. And funny, they had disappeared all those counts all those accounts and i had a list i'd written them down all those counts had disappeared and i said wow that was that was an interesting play they basically disguised the political ad as just some regular guy walking down the street and a ton of people fell for it i've been waiting for this to happen this time now the problem that and and by the way i i don't feel i feel as if this whole thing with Twitter, indeed, was somewhat a part of a larger plan to control a narrative that they they thought well we'll get Elon Musk to be stupid enough to go buy Twitter for forty four billion dollars, and you know he'll be the front for this, and basically we'll we'll basically get back to twenty sixteen with Twitter, and we'll be able to to, to brainwash people. And it's not gone that well. As a matter of fact, I was reading an interesting article about at least in Minnesota advertisers how most of them have bailed on Twitter now, and they're all on either Facebook or Blue Sky or Mastodon or Threads. Threads is picking up a lot of them, and this is why I think when Threads started, even Twitter. Remember when Elon Musk started getting upset with with uh, Facebook, uh, but but because uh, Facebook owns Instagram, which you know, in turn is a, uh, Threads is a spinoff of Instagram, but. That is kind of the that where a lot of these people have gone. And, of course, there's other ones. There's Snapchat and, and Discord and stuff like that. But really, the source of a lot of the misinformation was Twitter. So I've been waiting. I have been waiting and waiting. And what is starting to happen now, is I am seeing people now. A lot of this is geared in the plight of the Palestinians. Uh, in in the case with Israel, it is is what's going on there. And they're trying to make an argument. And I'm going to read this. And this is uh, uh, a mo- a Molly uh, from from Twitter who has. And I'll post the I'll post the the, the I took a screen grab before I, I unfollowed her. And I'm just going to run through this, through this. Now, first of all, I'm going to say the first tweet in this series of tweets includes a gif from Kanye. Now that is my first sign that this, something is really wrong here because Kanye likes Hitler. And yeah. So if you're trying to use him as someone who's misunderstood, no, I don't think so. So, and like I said, this was kind of out of the blue. This, uh, This all was the new thing. If you care more about the threat of Trump than the active genocide happening in Gaza, you are a morally depraved piece of blank. She doesn't say blank. Now, that's an interesting statement. That basically, and, and she and she continues on this. Um, let's see. One second here. Uh... You survived four years of Trump. That's, that's that, the next sentence she has. You survived four years of Trump. They are exterminating the entire people for the crime of existing. Palestinians don't have a path to survival. We, we do. Get right. So basically the argument is Trump wasn't that bad. We survived four years of him. They're not. Henceforth, if Trump wins... It's And and, and this comes down to, in in and her her point is that Joe Biden, she's not a fan of Joe Biden. I don't want Trump to win. That's why I blank hate what they're running Biden. It's not my job as the voter to make excuses for sonality, genocide, and stagnation. It's their job to make me want to vote. Give me a reason to vote. And so I saw this today, and I said to myself, and the reason why I instantaneously unfollowed her was I said, okay, yeah, this screams at me 2016 again. The argument they're making is that Joe Biden, who, by the way, the story is today that he's actually investigating, there there might be a a chance that they're investigating Israel for war crimes right now. Um, That Joe Biden somehow himself is responsible for Israel's treatment of the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. That Joe Biden is is the only person there. That I guess Benjamin Netanyahu is not running Israel. That Joe Biden is, and he's making all the decisions. And Joe Biden, all this stuff. And basically, I'd rather go with Trump because, hey, we survived Trump. And so I'd rather go with that than go with Joe Biden. Now, here's where this, like I said, red flags immediately. First of all, like I said, this is exactly like this, this twisted logic that was trying to get pushed through in 2016. Where it was, oh, there's no difference between the two. There's a substantial difference. Now, I'm going to go to your point about we survived four years of Trump. Barely. We barely survived. He tried to overthrow a legitimate election and overthrow the government of the United States of America. He did. He tried to do that with his supporters he tried to do that. Absolutely. Undeniably. You think it's a good idea giving that guy another chance, uh, another uh, swing at the plate? How stupid are you? And I'm saying this to anyone out there, who, anyone on the left who tries to say, well, we got through the first time. Barely. And if not for a handful of people, including the Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence at the time, General uh, uh, Miley over at at, at the Pentagon, the governors of Maryland and Virginia, if not for a handful of people, we would not have gone through that. But we did. But the more important thing here is this. Okay, you want to support Palestine. That's fine. You're upset that Joe Biden's not doing enough. I, you have that right to feel that way. I would say this is that there is tons of aid that the United States has sent to Palestine to help out the Palestinians, which the Israelis are just not letting into Palestine to get, let them, the, the basic food and medical necessities these people need. They're not even letting that stuff in there. So we're sending stuff. We've got stuff in boats that they won't let off the boats. We've got stuff at the border that they won't let through the border. So it's not like the United States isn't trying here. That's that's a reality. That's just a truth. But Trump himself has said he will allow Israel to do whatever he wants to to the Palestinians. And some of his supporters, some of Trump's supporters have basically gone as far as saying you can line up every Palestinian and put a bullet in their head. I do not care. So if you're concerned about the Palestinians, which this person supposedly is, to walk past that little nugget is where the real big red flags come on out. Because what you're saying is the guy who basically has said, we'll allow Israel to do whatever he wants and, and give him as much money as they wanted to do it, including, as his supporters have suggested, wiping out every Palestinian in the Gaza Strip, you're saying that that's the better option because you're upset with how the people in the Gaza Strip are being treated. Aha! Aha! Here's the, here's the, the, the thing which is really crazy. This isn't the first one of these I saw in the last few days. I've seen three or four people post basically kind of the same thing. And when people are like going out, I it, was like, wait a second here. Okay. You're great. You support Palestine, but you do understand Donald Trump tried to overthrow the government and Donald Trump wants to kill all Palestinians. The first thing out of their mind, their mouths or their keyboards technically is you're against me because I just don't like Joe Biden. Ah, I'm the victim. Now that's the most Republican thing you could possibly do. Make no mistake. I'm going to give you some advice. Don't engage with these people. Don't try to interact with them. If you see someone who is disguised as a Democrat, or a Democrat or a progressive or someone on the left and they're saying, well, we survived Donald Trump for four years. I'd rather do that again than go through another term with Joe Biden. Just block them because they are clearly a plant. They are clearly a plant. They are not serious. They are not honest because even the most if you are the most passionate about any issue out there on the left that that you feel as if Joe Biden's not there i freaking guarantee you the other side of the aisle is not going to get any much much better for you as a matter of fact it's going to be a lot worse name the issue abortion republicans w- want to bring you know you tie women to beds basically half half of them seem to do that want to do that now the environment yeah, you know, we, we you you got Republicans from wanting to kill off every wolf in the country to to let's strip mining everything and we don't need to protect water anymore. Healthcare, they want to bring back. Well, you're poor, so you're going to die, and that's just what God wants mentality. Or when it comes to foreign policy, you can have a guy who just this last weekend said, I will forego our allies and let them get attacked by a foreign country because I don't like them versus sanity. So just block them and walk away. They're starting to show up and it's the same thing as 2016. They've got to convince you that somehow Trump and Biden are the same. They're not. We'll take a break. It's the Matt McNeil Show.
1: got show up.
0: It's the Matt McNeil Show on your Friday, or on your Tuesday. It's Mardi Gras. I'm a little in the party mode. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. We're doing a listener event up here today in Minneapolis, St. Paul, so I'm looking forward to that. So I'm a little geeked, a little excited. How about I say that? 952-946-6205.
1: Uh,
0: I, if you listen to me for any length of time, I am one of these people that says, you know, insanity is to keep watching the gun carnage on the streets of America and keep thinking to yourself, you know what's going to make this better? More guns! You know, because it's just, it's not. And I want to uh, bring up here a story. This is from a raw story today. Fueled by right-wing politicians in the powerful gun lobby, nearly three-quarters of firearm owners in the United States believe the enduring myth that a gun at the ready will keep them safer, but a new analysis offers the latest hard evidence that guns simply make life more dangerous and deadly for everyone. The Center for the American Progress Uh, joined gun violence research group GVpedia uh, to release the issue brief debunking the falsehoods pushed by the NRA and other pro-gun groups which looked at countering the horrors of everyday gun violence in America masterfully constructed a narrative based on a myth of the good guy with the gun using their weapon defensively to stop an armed assailant before the harm can be done. Um, Listening to the former NRA CEO Wayne LaPierre and the right-wing lawmakers Who count on the gun lobby's endorsement? One could hardly be blamed for conjuring the image of the good guy with the gun, who frequently stops violent attacks from happening. But the analysis shows that that is just not the case, Uh, and that, that just that's you know that's basically it's it's a lie. Surveys at the time when the NRA started pushing this narrative, including a widely cited study by Gary Kleck and Matt Gertz basically uh came on out and estimated that between now this is what their estimate was between um seventy six seven hundred and sixty thousand and two point five million defensive gun uses occurred annually that was their argument that this is this is what this was this is the success of gun ownership that between six hundred seven hundred and sixty thousand and two point five million defensive gun uses occurred annually Annually, But the Harvard Injury Control Research Center found two years later that fewer than 550,000 burglaries occurred in gun owners' homes annually, while the Kleck and Gertz uh, report estimated that guns were used for self-defense during burglaries approximately 845,000 times, which doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, burglary victims would have need to use their guns defensively in more than 100% of the cases, which is, of course, impossible. So basically, the NRA made up stats to try to make more guns seem like the viable option. Until the myth of the good guy with the gun is defeated, Devin Hughes, founder and president of GVP Media, Americans will continue buying firearms in the mistaken belief that these guns will make them safer and the gun violence will continue unabated. Accurate information... Uh, the accurate information is uh, impossible. is is more difficult to find. Uh, fighting America's epidemic of uh, gun violence. Uh, just important, however, is countering inaccurate, inaccurate information. They ana- analyzed data from the D.G.U. from the National Crime Victimization Survey, which estimated just seventy thousand uses of instances per year. So basically, their study showed that. It wasn't millions of good guys with the guns, as at best 70,000. The group found that nine times as many people have reported being victimized by a person with a gun than being protected by a firearm. I want to repeat that one. Nine times as many people have been reported being victimized by a person with a gun than being protected by a firearm. Respondents to two Harvard surveys taken in 96 and 99 were three times as likely to report being threatened or victimized with a gun than having one used to protect themselves. In addition to uh, putting the household at a higher risk of accidental gun injury or death, gun ownership also is not the safest means of self-protection. The NC the NCVS data from 2007 to 2011 showed that of the 14,145 crime incidents in which a victim was present, less than 1% involved the DGU, someone using a gun. 11% of the victims who did not use the gun defensively reported being injured during the altercation, almost the same amount reported injuries in cases of the victim using a gun. More than 38% of victims who used the gun defensively reported property loss, while less than 35% who defended themselves with different weapon reported property loss. The idea that one is not safe unless they're carrying a gun is perhaps the most personal and insidious myth conceived by the gun lobby. What does improve safety is stronger gun laws, improved clearance rates, and investments in community violence prevention programming. The brief noted that people who intend to use their guns defensively are more likely to keep them unlocked, readily available, and, unload- and loaded substantially increasing the risk of unauthorized access by a minor, suggesting that a parent with a gun for self-protective purposes is unlikely to successfully use it for self-defense and is actively endangering their family members by having a gun. This, I don't think, is anything as surprising as this. I mean, I I think the 9 to 1 ratio that people were threatened more with guns then basically we able to defend themselves on a nine to one ratio is pretty stark. I am, I, I grew up in a family with guns, hunting weapons. That was something that was there. I don't really have a problem with hunting weapons to a point. I don't really have a problem with a personal defense pistol. I would not use one, but if someone wants to use one, fine. I don't think there's any need for anyone to have an assault weapon designed. It w- if it was when they sat down and they designed it, they designed it to kill as many human beings, human beings as quickly as possible in a combat scenario, then what the hell are we doing giving those people, people those on the streets? That's just a disturbing side of this whole argument. The reality is, is we need to desperately, and I do mean desperately, revisit the gun laws of this country and the and truthfully this the gun issue has become so toxic i i brought up the point this weekend that trump on friday was it was at the nra annual meeting and a lot of the media didn't even report that and i think one of the reasons why they didn't report that is well frankly most people are for common sense gun regulations now but the reality is, is, as long as the NRA and likely Russian money filtered through the NRA is buying off Republicans, nothing's going to get done. Chicago, have a good one. We'll talk to you on Wednesday, Minneapolis-St. Paul, Hour 2 up next. <music> hour 2 of the show here on your Tuesday, Matt and... Patrick here on a Mardi Gras day. I hope you're having a good one out there. Usually that last hour we mentioned that Brett is on vacation. Usually he records an interview with Patrick Cooligan at the Minnesota Reformer on Tuesdays, and we air that. Unfortunately, Brett is off enjoying some time off and, and good for him. So it falls onto me, and this is going to be a treat here because joining me right now is Michelle Griffith. She is a writer over at the Minnesota Reformer, and she's covering the Capitol in St. Paul. She's kind enough today to talk about the beginning of session today and some of the stories she's been writing. Uh, Michelle, thank you very much. I appreciate the time.
2: Yes, thank you for having me. My absolute
0: pleasure. Uh, so, first of all, I mean, it's. in you know, I'll do Son of the Cross. It's Ash Wednesday tomorrow. I'll do Son of the Cross for you because I know you're you're a political reporter, and this is just beginning. Uh, it, it's, it, but it's not going to be as long. I mean, this off uh, this kind of I shouldn't say off year. It's a uh, you know, it's an election year, but it's this the second year of the legislative term. The session generally doesn't go as long as the the, the first year of a term. Correct?
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, and this year they don't have to pass a budget, and an off year is usually time for an infrastructure package and any policy bills that they want to do and actually, uh, speaker Melissa Hortman yesterday said that you know when she looks back at twenty at the twenty twenty four session, she wants it to be described as short, so <laughs> it seems like uh, she wants to get things wrapped up and completed as soon as possible.
0: You have, in, in the agendas I see getting played out here, uh, on one side, I think I, I, I see kind of the, the, the DFL coming in there and saying, you know, basically, don't create any traps for yourself with the election year coming up here. You did a lot last year. Clean up some of these bills. Look at that infrastructure, the bonding bill. See if you can get that passed and and try to prevent you know, any major gas from happening. Is that a fair way to to say how the DFL seems to be approaching this session?
2: Yeah, I think that's a fair way to look at things. Um, I do think, though, that they will look at some policy uh, choices that they've been trying to get past for years. So, um, you know, you have the sanctuary state issue. Um, it looks like that may be losing support now. Um, A couple senators have said that they will not support the proposal. But, um, yeah, it is it is one where Republicans are are going to remind the Democrats that, you know, we are the House is up for reelection and we will hold hold you to account to what you guys do today. Um, And, yeah, it just seems that, um, you know, everyone is going to look at things through the November lens.
0: Well, and and we'll start with, you know, let's talk a little bit more about that issue. It it, I think that that issue is, uh, that, that's a, a bit of a trap for the Democrats. And I'll say it like this, is that the Republicans have already written up the ad campaigns against that. I mean, there, as a matter of fact, you had the head of the mm-hmm. Republican, Minnesota Republican Party already talking about, look what they're trying to do. I think that if you don't have the votes, I mean, if it's not a surefire way to do it, for you to bring it up and argue it and debate it and really push it, all you're doing is giving ammunition to your political opponents who are definitely trying to take back the House this next uh, session. And so far, I'm not saying that the DFL has done a good job, a great job, rather, of, of kind of keeping these issues at bay. But there's a lot of issues the Republicans have tried to make hay out of. That some would have fallen by the wayside, and the the fact that they're dealing with the SRO issue, the DFL is dealing with the SRO issue to try to get that off the table very quickly, it doesn't give a mm-hmm. lot of things for the Republicans to use as political fodder. So when you look at the the sanctuary state bill, is you know is that do you think there's a substantial? I mean, is it close in your mind? Have you heard word if if it's a if it's close to passing, or is it really still missing enough votes in the House and the Senate?
2: Um, well, Dina Winter here at the Reformer reported yesterday that you know it appears the sanctuary state bill is dead on arrival. Um, you know, uh, Speaker Hortman yesterday at a press conference after the floor session said that she doesn't believe there are the votes this year for the sanctuary state bill, and it, she just doesn't believe it's going to move forward in the House or the Senate. Um, so it is it is one of those um
1: bills
2: that you
0: know maybe doesn't have a long long lifeline this year <laughs> the sro bill i mean it's that, that that one seems to be on light speed i mean <laughs> the you know the dfl yeah, wants yeah. to get that one out of the way quick uh, it, i think it's already been introduced hasn't it uh the the, the fixes that they want to do have already been fixed uh, introduced yeah yep mm-hmm.
2: they've, it's already been introduced it's going through its second committee hearing today and then tomorrow it'll be in ways, ways and means which is usually the last committee stop before it goes to the floor so I mean um, the house could be voting on it as soon as this week and um, yesterday Governor Walls said that he expects the SRO fix to be one of the first bills on his desk uh, ready to sign so Um, it looks like lawmakers are wanting to move quickly on that.
0: Are there any other bills that uh, the DFL are looking at light speeding through and trying to get those done earlier than later?
2: Yeah, there is a uh, tax fix. So last year in their um, tax bill, there was uh, oversight that if they don't fix it over two years could cost Minnesota taxpayers $352 million. So they they're just trying to, to get that done as soon as possible. Um, that's already had a, a, a couple hearings as well. And, um, you know, that's that's one where, um, you know, that's that's one where de- it seems Democrats are trying to get that through quickly so it doesn't become a, an election issue as well.
0: The, the, the bonding bill. Um, well, that's the big beast. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that's yeah. the big beast. You do need to have in both the House and the Senate Republican votes along with it it generally in the minority party creates some level of friction because, you know, the you know the majority party has a tendency of looking, you know, kind of hand-selecting a few senators or House reps that they know that need something, making sure that's in the bill, and making it much tougher for that Republican to vote against it. Uh, you know, what is the the sense that you have right now hearing from the Republicans and the Democrats? Do you feel as if there's going to get one passed? Or, you know, I, 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 well, I'll bring up... Um, in 2022, the Republicans walked away from a deal and desperately wished that they could get that one back. I, I don't know if they've learned that lesson. Do you take the deal that's on the table if you can get a deal now, because there's no guarantee you're going to have the house come after November?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So both sides have, have said that uh bonding bill is a priority for them this year. You know, they want funding for critical, critical you know, works like water, um, Roads, bridges, uh, nuts and bolts, and I talked to uh, Minority House, or I'm sorry, I talked to Senate Minority Leader um, Mark Johnson to, uh, last week, and he said that Republicans are ready to use the leverage that they have to influence the bonding bill. Um, So last year, they were, the Republicans were successfully able to leverage their vote to get $300 million in nursing home funding. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that was something last year that they were advocating for all session. And, um, you know, in the final days, uh, Democrats finally folded and, you know, they were able to get the votes for the bonding bill. So Speaker, or I'm sorry, uh, Senator Johnson said that he is prepared to do the same this year. And um, this year he doesn't want to see any what he calls pet projects in the bonding bill. So last year, Republicans were not happy with the amount of uh, nonprofit funding that was in the bonding bill. And so um, Johnson, you know said this year, he does not want to see like funding to nonprofits or interest groups. He wants you know kind of the nuts and bolts of what is typically in a bonding bill.
0: One thing though, that is in a lot of the Republican districts that they need is is the water treatment issue. I mean, we have nitrates in the mm-hmm. waters that you know, and just frankly, the water treatment facilities we have can't take the stuff out. We need to get these upgraded in some places in in red districts, they actually need to redrill wells for the city to get new water because the the wells have gone being gone dry. Uh, you know, obviously, is, is that, I mean, I think of all the issues that might be facing the Republicans, those might be the ones at the top of the list. Has there been any discussion on that? Have you heard?
2: Um, I have not heard specifically about the, um, you know, water facilities. But I do know that um, Republicans in the bonding bill, they, they want an even distribution of projects. So they don't want just a cluster of projects being funded in the Twin Cities. They want they want funding for their districts, obviously. So, um they're going to try to advocate for a bill that evenly funds projects across the state and you know gets gets their constituents what they need and um you know tries to do that in in kind of a, a facilitated you know streamlined way
0: okay and i'm going to bring up the the obvious here it's not going to be a 50-50 bill though and and i and, and no. that's that, generally the case if they are basically of the mindset is that we have to have the same equal amount of money spent in our districts as your districts. I, I don't think that the Democrats, the DFL wants to make it look like they have caved to the Republicans in an election year. I don't think it's going to get done. I mean, they, they do understand that they're going to have to, you know, the, the bulk of this is goes with the majority in the same sense as when the Republicans had been in charge in a long while back, but they would get the majority of the projects in their districts.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it likely won't be 50-50, but, um, you know, it, it, we don't really know exactly yet. The You know, the governor has um, proposed his, his bonding package, and um, we haven't seen the legislatures yet. So mm-hmm. um, we don't have a good idea exactly of what projects they're looking at, but, um, you know, the Republicans say that they're ready to—they you know, they, they basically left it open-ended in that we're, we're willing to, to use our bonding votes to leverage whatever issue will come up towards the end of the session. So, you know, Speaker Johnson was asked, oh, is it, is it, you know, uh, I'm sorry, not Speaker Johnson, but uh. <laughs> Minority Leader Johnson was asked, um, you know, uh, for the bonding bill leverage, is there an issue specifically that you're looking to gain favor on? And he just kind of left it open-ended and said, uh, we'll see how it goes. But, um, you know that that's something we will definitely use this year.
0: Uh, did they mention anything? Did e- either the minority or the majority in the House or the Senate talk about Walls' proposals yet? Have, has there been any formal announcement on what they agree with, disagree with?
2: No, not on the <laughs> not on the bonding bill. Mm-hmm. Um, it is usually it, they are pretty close to the governor's proposal, and the governor's proposal this year has very little cash in it, so a lot of the funding will be through borrowed bonds. Um, and last year there was, you know, a bonding bill funded with, uh, you know, general obligation bonds and a cat all cash bill. So it looks like this year it'll be a majority, um, borrowing through obligation bonds bill. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it, uh, at rise right now, we don't really know what, what they're looking at.
0: Uh, joining us right now, once again, talking about the the launch of the new session, Michelle Griffith from the Minnesota Reformer. You were there. Uh, it, speaking of issues that sometimes can pop up, you were there on day one. Uh, your article, ERA Mardi Gras and Apple Blondies, uh, that was uh, the, it was day one at the session. You do get these issue, you know these these people who are very passionate to show up and really push for an issue to be brought up. I know the ERA Equal Rights Amendment. That's one that's been pushed for a long time. Uh, you know, do you feel as if there's anything that might be kind of a little bit out of left field maybe that's you know, could end up becoming an issue that is brought to the floor?
2: Um, you know, the one thing that comes to mind is um, Representative Lee Finke yesterday introduced a bill to um, ban the sale and transfer transfers of automatic rifles such as um, ak-47s and ak15s and um, the Minnesota Gun caucus has you know come out strongly against it um, and you know it appears like yesterday uh, mom's demand action was one of the groups who were at the Capitol um, you know advocating for this. so it seems like that one is one that could really get fi- people fired up and passionate um, I did ask walls, yesterday, whether he would support an automatic rifle ban. Um, and he said he would need to look at the language, but, um, you know, he doesn't, obviously he doesn't want to see these military, uh, style rifles in schools. Um, he even said he he doesn't want to see it in the Capitol building. Um, so, um, it's, he, he has advocated for, you know, smart, um, safe gun reg- regulations. So it's something that he could be looking at, but
0: he said he will uh, need to look at the language first. You as well, one other last story I want to bring up that you covered, which was the the basically the governor and the House and Senate leaders at the Chamber of Commerce event that they had. Uh, I believe this was over in St. Paul. Um, and the, you know, it was... It's interesting because you did get some they they did get some answers there uh, on some of these issues. Sports betting passing this year, it seems like mm-hmm. that might go through. Although, correct me if I'm wrong, the last time it didn't go through because you know, basically the DFL wanted it to be in Native American casinos only, and the Republicans were insisting no, it has to be over at Canterbury and Running Aces as well. It, have you heard of any you know kind of uh, you know conversations that have happened on that level?
2: Yeah, so um Senator Jeremy Murf, uh uh Miller in the uh Senate has proposed his own sports betting bill and um that bill would give exclusive licenses uh to the 11 tribal nations in the state. Um but it also would provide some tax revenue um from the bets that would go straight to the horse racing tracks. And that's something that's probably not going to um you know, Pat, go through as the process gets going, um, just because, um, you know, DFL is very aligned with the Native American tribes and, uh, you know, funding for the horse racing tracks is not something that they are in favor of. Um, And we're told that uh, Senator Matt Klein is uh, proposing his own proposal for sports betting that also, you know, gives control to um, the tribal nations. Um, we don't know exactly what that looks like yet, but it seems like, uh, both like they're, it's, they said they are working bipartisanly Mm -hmm. to try to get something through just because it is something that a lot of Minnesotans do want. Um, you know, in my story yesterday, I wrote that, um, majority of the leaders said that, you know, what are the odds of sports betting passing this year? It's about 50 50, but Speaker Hortman did say it's 60 40 in favor. Mm -hmm. So um, it seems like she has maybe bumped up her percentage because last week she said maybe 50-50 it would pass. So maybe she's seeing some hope on the horizon in terms of sports betting. But, um, no, it should be interesting to see how that how that furthers along as the session goes.
0: For those hoping that we, from this chamber event, uh, those hoping that we'd become more like Wisconsin and have beer sales in convenience for store grocery stores, all four of them very quickly said, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So that's that was definitely no. off the table. Um, yeah, the, um, then you have this, uh, the point, uh, when, when you look back at the 2024 session, how do you want it to be described, uh, repairing the damage from last year? That's the minority leader Johnson bringing that up, the Senate major- minority leader. That doesn't sound like, I mean, it sounds like there's much more of angst there. Now, obviously he is, there, there is a political aspect. You can't, you can't remove the political aspect of this. And they're looking at 2024 and they're looking at the election coming up here. And what they don't want is to appoint a quiet session because they want issues to be able to run on. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm seeing necessarily anything there. And we've talked about some of the things. I mean, the child tax credit, the, the school lunch things. These are wildly popular bills. So say you're going to repair the damage from last year. I don't know. Obviously, you're going to cherry pick what you're going to do. But if the DFL is already... Addressing some of those mistakes, the tax issue and the uh, the the SRO uh, issue, uh, you know, is do you think there's a lot that they're going to go back on? And, and be, I don't I don't sense at least I don't sense you're there every day. Do you sense that there's regret, enough regret from the DFL on any of those issues from last year that they might actually overturn one of them?
2: No, I, I don't get that sense at the Capitol. Okay. Um, you know, DFL, DFL lawmakers are very proud of what they did last year. Um, you know, they did make a couple mistakes, which they said are going to be resolved very quickly here in the coming days. But, um, you know, I've, I've heard that they're planning just to build on what they started last year. So, um, you know, in terms of maybe keeping things more reserved with the election coming up, it doesn't appear that that's something the DFL wants to do um it looks like they're going to continue with their progress progressive priorities and um you know it doesn't i don't see them re- re-looking um re re-look, you know looking at things they passed last year again
0: mm-hmm. i'm going to bring up one thing and this is i, I mean carrie Dietzick uh was the senate majority leader she had to step down because her cancer has returned Um, the, I mean, you know, you know, all my best to her and her family and Aaron Murphy has taken over as the new Senate majority leader, um, obviously with a one vote majority in the Senate, um, you know, whether or not people think it's probably, we have to ask the question, is there a concern that Carrie will be able to fill, you know, get through the rest of this session? You know,
2: um, uh, Senator Murphy was asked about that. You know, she wasn't there yesterday. Um, when on the first day of session, um, her desk was empty. But, um, you know, Senator Murphy basically said that's a private issue and something she couldn't talk about. But the Senate does have remote voting, um, you know, practices in place. So if there were to be a you know, consequential vote on something, Senator Dipsick could vote remotely. She did that last year when she was getting a lot of her cancer treatments. So, you know, she she was voting from the hospital bed, I was told. So um, and, and <laughs> I was also told that the doctors told her, like, please stop working. You know, <laughs> she's such a work, workhorse that, <laughs> that yeah, she couldn't stop. So, um, you know, I, I think Dipsick is going to try her hardest to, to be there and show up for her caucus. But um, you know, there there are mechanisms in place that she can use to to vote remotely. But, you know, it is it is a concern, um, you know, that she might not be there uh, you know, on the ground. Um, but um, you know, obviously she she, you know, did this last year. I mean, she was getting treatment and being <laughs> the Senate majority leader. So um, she, she has experience on this, and I think her caucus is, is supporting her, and um, they're going to do what they can to make sure that um, she's representing her folks the best that she can and is doing the work.
0: And, and I'm glad they're doing it. I'm glad it's not like the federal government where they wheeled the one guy in with a hospital gurney on, uh, the, yeah. the, 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 the hospital uh, clothes on, uh, to, to, in a wheelchair to, to, to make the vote. Mm-hmm. It's good that we do have some options there. All right. Uh, Michelle. I all my best you I, I mean if you know I know you I know many of the other people that do the, the cover of the Minnesota legislature I know the next few weeks next few months are going to be really busy I can't tell you how much I really appreciate the time I appreciate as well the great stories in the Minnesota reform and I want to drive everyone to go get your Minnesota legislature uh coverage over at the Minnesota reformer they got Dina and yourself over there covering it and I don't think you could ask for better coverage frankly so I, I thank you very much I really appreciate the time today
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. It's
0: been great. My pleasure. Michelle Griffith from the Minnesota Reformer, uh, kind enough to join us. We'll take a break. Come on back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950.
1: Could have been a little less strange that night I was feeling down and my mood wasn't right AM 950, the Progressive There's Voice
0: of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. So one really quick thing here. about I want to talk about Michelle Griffith's uh, coverage of that Chamber of Commerce meeting. There are two things I want to mention. First of all, the photo that goes along with it, and I've seen this uh, photo in other places too. I find it kind of interesting that the Senate minority leader and the only male of the leadership group Sat next to the the the, the um, uh, Tom Hauser, who is the KSTP political reporter, who was the MC of the event, and that they put the actual majority leader of the Senate next to him, and then the Speaker of the House was at the very end. I, I you would think that just by you know respect of the position that you know you put it down there. I thought that was just that was I thought it was I'm not saying anything. I just said I thought that was an interesting image, and almost wonder if that was by design. That being said, there is one thing I, I – I, this I go back and forth on all the freaking time. There is one question in one to, one to three words. How are businesses in your district describing the 2023 session? The Senate Minority Leader, confusing. The, uh, the House Minority Leader, unfathomable. Hortman, the Speaker, said better for workers – and the new Senate Majority Leader, Aaron Murphy, said, thank you. Many in the room laughed. That's what she says. So the people are saying thank you. Many in the room laughed and scoffed at Murphy's answer. And part of me just asked the question, and, and this is a legit question because this can go either way. Does it do you any good for a DFLer to go to a hostile group who wants to openly mock and ridicule you and as a matter of fact the 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 chamber president very what, what, let me see if i can find the, the what, what he said here um this is the chamber president and ceo doug loon told that the 1700 attendees at the chamber st paul river center annual legislative priorities dinner the agenda passed by the DFL trifecta, some of whom are in the room, last year hurt businesses and caused many to consider leaving. Actually, more pe- more businesses are coming to Minnesota than leaving. So, yeah, yeah it sucks to be uh, wrong there, doesn't it? High costs have put us at a competitive disadvantage as other states currently reduce their taxes and reduce their regulatory burdens. But, yeah, there is nothing helping the people there or the workers, but okay, fine. We now have the highest corporate tax rate in the country. This inhibits economic output and limits business. A funny story, actually, it doesn't. It's, Minnesota is actually one of the best states for business in the country. And so he's, you're already going into a place where Loon here apparently, and, and, and you know, paraphrasing and kind of you know, taking a little liberty, but saying you know, he wants to look in, he wants to get his finger in front of these Democrats' faces and tell them, you're destroying our state. Well, they're destroying their state from their perspective. That's what he wants to say. And when Aaron Murphy says a statement, what what are the business leaders in your district telling you? Well, thank you. And they openly mock and ridicule. The question I have is this, why are you there? Because let me make sure we understand something about the Republican minority leaders. Oh, uh, say they're save the boundary waters group, save the, save the boundary waters group who don't want to have mining. They're having an annual get together and they invite all four of the House and Senate leaders to show up and speak and have a talk and a panel and discuss things. You know who's not going to be there? The Republicans. The Republicans are not going to be there because they already know they're on the wrong side of that issue. And so they'll just not show up. And they don't get criticized for that. They don't get criticized for that. On the other side... I guarantee you, the the Democrats wouldn't show up for this chamber meeting. They would be criticized. But it, does it do you any good to just go there and be the fodder and the the punchline of the jokes? So God, you got him! You got him! Zinger! Zinger! Because I mean, this the CEO of the chamber sounds like a douche nozzle, man. I mean, he just sounds like a jerk. And I get it. You're 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 out there advocating for your group. But, you know, it's it's like I said, I mean, would you would they ever go after a Republican if the Republican showed up? I doubt it. I highly doubt it. You know, I, I just think you have to if you're the Democrats, if you're the DFL leadership, you need to figure out a better balance here, because does it do you any good to go there and be mocked and ridiculed and insulted to your face? No. Does it look like you've got integrity that you actually show up to the, the event? Sure. And I have zero, and by the way, I have zero doubt that somebody from the chamber go, was going up to the Democrats afterwards and saying, hey, I know that there is some tough language here, but, you know, hey, just uh, don't, don't feel like we don't appreciate some of the things that you've done here. You're trying to you know, the, be the good cop to the bad cop sort of thing. I have zero doubt that was going on. But at the same time, it doesn't do you any good. And the, the Republicans never put themselves out there either. And maybe what I should say is this. If you are the leadership of the DFL, maybe you make a deal with the Republicans and say, okay, first, we're going to go talk to friends of the Boundary Waters, and we're going to go do their panel, and you need to show up for that. And if you show up for that, then we'll show up for the chamber event. Because it sure seemed like this was an event being put out there to basically you know, push the Republicans. It just... Like I said, I think it's a legit question. Is there value or is there no, is is it is it just basically an opportunity for you to get humiliated by the chamber? Because, you know, frankly, you know, the, the Democrats keep winning regardless of what the Chamber of Commerce keeps saying. So, you know, my mentality is let them complain because the, the DFL did a lot for, Amer- for Minnesota businesses and they did a lot for the Minnesota workers. And you see is when they sit there and they talk about these other states – It's that second part they want to emit. Sure, you're doing a lot for businesses, but they're not doing a damn thing for the workers. And so I I think we need to make sure we put that in perspective a little bit. All right, let's take a break. Come on back. 952 946 6205. 952 946 6205. Take a break. Come back at the Matt McNeil Show on AM 950. AM nine fifty, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil show. Looking forward to the meet and greet going on tonight. Once again, ticketed event. There are no tickets available at the door. This is you had to win the tickets. We want to congratulate all the people that did win. Looking forward to seeing you tonight. Uh, Sixty eight. Here is the deal. Um, Don't worry. You're saying, "Hey, I've been left out." It's Listener Appreciation Month. What the heck's going on? Don't worry, my friends. Starting tomorrow on this show, uh, I think we got uh, Lewis Black tickets tomorrow. Uh, Lewis Black is uh, going to the goodbye Yeller Brick Road, the final tour. He's going to be at Mystic Lake on the 26th of April. Got a pair of tickets for them on. That's coming up here on Wednesday, tomorrow. On Thursday, Randy Rainbow for President tour. That's uh, going to be on Friday, February 23rd at the State Theater. Uh, we got a pair of tickets for that. We're going to looking forward to that. And then on Friday, another pair of the Lewis Black tickets. So listener appreciation continues here on the Matt McNeil show. Thank you very much. We're doing this all month long. And trust me, the grand prize is huge. Uh, we got stuff in in Robert's show at Native Roots Radio right after my show. Bakken's show tonight, 10 o'clock. It's Ghost Box Radio. Make sure you're listening to them. It's just our little gift to you. Thank you so very much. We really appreciate all that you've done for us. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. So, uh, Patrick, have I ever told you the story of trying to mail a a postcard when I, when I was, when my kids were little, I worked as a marketing manager for a company called Blakeway Panoramas. Great company, very pretty pictures. Go look at Blakeway Panoramas. They're very solid. And I was out in Vegas and I was working, I was doing work in the Vegas area and I went to mail a postcard for my kids. (laughs) They were young at the time from Vegas. And I go over now. If you if you are in Minneapolis, St. Paul, you go to a post office. There's usually a mail drop box outside. I could not find one, and so I went inside to what could only be described as like a Swiss bank level of security in the Las Vegas post office. I I, have
1: not heard this story, but that does not surprise me.
0: So apparently, they initially and this was a long time ago in Vegas. Not you know it's it's just starting here, but this is a long time ago in Vegas. In Vegas, uh, they, they started stealing the mailboxes and just, they'd rip them out. They'd rip a chain around them, drive away, and then they'd go through the mail and see, you know, take any checks and anything like that and try to cash them and stuff like that. It's the desperation. They then went out and encased the mailbox in concrete, in concrete. Someone tried to blow it up from the inside, which that didn't work too well. It just destroyed all the mail. Then someone stole a cement truck, rammed it into it, and then when they knocked it free, they stole it there. That was when they stopped doing a mail drop-off in Vegas. Oh, God. Well, it does not surprise me. It, this is something that's going on, although I will say most of the mailboxes I know at post offices now, they're the big ones that I don't think you really can just yank them off the ground. But I guess, it, you know, if someone tries hard enough, they're going to do some damage. Someone has taken mail theft to new lows in St. Paul by stealing three blue collection boxes, the entire box, from their public locations by cutting them free from the ground, according to an official with the U.S. Postal Inspection Service. The boxes were later recovered, but neither the exact spot where they're taken from nor where they found was being disclosed. For now, as the investigation continues, Uh, those postal investigators there, there, it's it's the check is in the mail. There you go. I think I think I see a new CBS procedural here. I'm all over this. The federal agency that protects the mail is the uh, U.S. Postal Inspector Service. The boxes were taken sometime in early January from an area that Williams said was not a high-volume location for mail delivery. The boxes were cut into, said Williams, but it's unclear if mail was stolen since it's not known how much mail they contained when the boxes were taken. USPS uses a network of nearly 440,000 blue collection boxes nationwide and the theft of one of those boxes is rare," said Williams. "It's not a frequent occurrence outside of Vegas. Well, but and like I said, that was a long time ago in Vegas. Apparently, that was a long time ago. They stopped that. Crimes against letter carriers have spiked in recent years, however, uh, including armed robberies less than 24 hours apart in the carriers of Edina and Brooklyn Center last fall. Thieves have been targeting mail for a variety of reasons, including cash washing schemes in which information is stolen from real checks to create fake checks using real bank account numbers. The National Association of Letter Carriers said it held a press conference last month calling for more protections for members of their group, citing statistics that show some twelve or 2,000 violent attacks on letter carriers nationwide since 2020. The USPS stepped up the efforts last year to reduce postal crimes in response using enforcement surges and secure collection boxes, new electronic locks to thwart criminals. I I think it's one of the things I did not realize and this kind of, yeah, you, you want to talk about realizing you growing up in a more, you know, gilded part of the, the, the country. I, I didn't realize that there were some places where the Postal Service just wouldn't refuse to mail, could drop off mail because it was so dangerous in some of the, the, the places that they, they wouldn't send a postal carrier out. And even if they did and the postal carrier was able to deliver the mail, that people would, would you know, rip open the boxes and take the mail which, you know, it's that's that's a sad reality in some places. But they, I thought they had addressed some of that stuff. And I think, like, most apartment complexes and condos now have actually much more secure um, mail facilities, and most of them are under camera, too. So I, I don't think that that is, uh, is nearly the problem that it used to be. I've I got to tell you, one thing that really is amazing is the amount of people that you, you get something delivered I, I'm lucky I've got, um, uh, you know, notifications on that will tell me when something's been delivered. You got to get that off your porch fast because there's a lot of people out there who that, that you get something not dropped off. It's going to walk and it's going to walk quick, really quickly. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Stop. This. Remember, I just talked yesterday about it. I was walking on the parks and I saw where the idiots basically dismantled the, the street lights. Because they're trying to get the wiring out of them. Stop it. For God's sakes, man. Just stop it. Um, I, I want to... You know how Republicans like to scream, liberals want to defund the police. Well, technically, there are a lot of places where police are getting defunded, but it's not in the liberal areas. It's in the Republican areas. Interim Police Chief Chad Pattison is a force of one, overseeing law enforcement for the northeastern Minnesota city of Moose Lake. You drive through it if you're on 35 heading to Duluth. Two officers resigned from the typically five-person force last month and two others, including the chief, last summer. This week, the city council could decide to stick with Moose Lake force or sign a contract with Carleton County to have four of its deputies oversee it, a controversial choice for the city of 2,600. It is small-town America, and the people want to keep their police department. They love their law enforcement here. I'll come back to that statement. I will come back to that statement. Uh, Moose Lake, about 40 minutes southwest of Duluth, is the latest in a string of small Minnesota towns struggling to keep up with public safety demands and increasing costs and a shortage of officers throughout the state. The entire police force resigned in Goodhue, Minnesota in August. 35 municipal police officers throughout the state have dissolved since, uh, police departments, rather, throughout the states have dissolved since 2016. 35, according to records kept by the Minnesota Board of Peace Officer standards and training. About 400 remain, though. With police under more scrutiny in the last decade, fewer people are joining the profession, said Jim Mortensen, executive director of the Brooklyn Center based law enforcement labor services. Nearly 260 agencies in Minnesota had jobs posted last week. So there's 400 agencies and 260 have open positions. You're looking for a job, I'm just going to say. Uh, Rural cities paying less than urban centers play a big role in the problem, Morton and said, noting pay for the Moose Lake officers is near the bottom of for cities statewide with populations between 2,000 and 5,000. You've got a lot of communities and counties that are throwing money at, to, uh, to the, at this to attract candidates, and those that are working in these smaller communities are sliding over for more pay, okay? So basically, just in the, the communities from 2,000 to 5,000 people, what you've got is you've got a lot of people who are, you know, the, the, some communities are like, hey, we got to pay top dollar if we want to get cops. And the police officers are saying, well, if I'm going to do the job here, or I can do the job there, I'd rather go do the job there. Uh, public safety would make up a major portion of the Moose Lake's $2.8 million 2024 budget, about $900,000 for a five-person force, said uh, Elisa Owens at City Administrator. Nearly 90% of property tax proceeds alone would have gone to the police department after a 28% cost increase due to the police health insurance changes, she said, forcing a reliance on local government aid to pay for other city departments. The city council chose to reduce the size of the force to be able to fund the department, opting against replacing two of the officers last fall. Now we'll consider moving to a four-person Carlton Sheriff's team that will work out of Moose Lake, a cheaper option than one that covers more shifts. Now, I want to add, before I read the last line that I, I, I saved here, I want to add one thing that they're, they're going to do. They, they wanted to create, because of Moose Lake, and sometimes it, it depends on where the county is and what the case is, that you create a tax zone where taxes for the communities. So if, if the police department is going into one or two other neighboring municipalities, that you create a tax zone, that the tax is raised, go pay for the police officers. They've tried that a few times, but it has not been successful. They have not been able to get that done. Now, that being said, here's the line from Owens. The city is not defunding law enforcement. Okay. All right, I get it. You, 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 you have this mentality that, you know, and, and I mean, tell me a small town that's not like this, this is a great place to, to raise kids. It's a great place to, to, to have a family. It's a great place to work. And so you go on out there and you try to recruit police officers to come to the town and say, hey, you know, it's quality of life. You can't beat it. You're by Duluth. You're only, you know, an hour and a half north of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Good place to be but you're not paying them what they're worth. Why would you think that they're going to sit, sit around? What you need to do is raise your taxes to pay them the salary that they need to keep a police force there. And it's not a substantial amount. You've tried to create this tax zone, as I mentioned. That's one way you can do it, but... You've not been successful, even though you know that we need money for the police. So when you sit there and you say, the people want to keep their police department, they love their law enforcement here. Well, they don't really, because it sounds like multiple times you guys have tried to create a system where you can pay, you love the police by giving them the salary that they deserve, and it's just not worked. And now it looks like you're going to have to contract out from the county sheriff's department, which may or may not be more expensive. So I, you know, when you sit there and you say, we're not defunding the police, well, you're not funding the police at all. And as you keep your salaries stagnant and not increasing for inflation, or the competition for other communities that are picking apart your police departments and picking them in and, and, and taking their officers and putting them on their new police force. What do you, th- what would you call it? Cause I would call it you're defunding the police because you're not paying them what they're worth. So maybe Republican America should stop defunding the police. 952 946 6205. 952 946 6205. We'll take a break, come on back, wrap up the show. When we do return, it is the Matt McNeil Show on your Tuesday. All right, I got two quick ones here I got to get to before we get out of the show here. First of all, all right, I, I applaud the St. Paul Public Library on this one, but you're going to have a run on these suckers arguably one of the most love state flag design submissions the laser eye loon laser loon has found new life on the st paul public library card st paul residents interested in getting a free library card can now enjoy the limited edition card design current card holders can get a replacement card with a new account number or keep their account number and instead request a card size sticker if you're hoping to snag a laser loon, you've probably uh, act fast. Supplies are limited at each library location. Oh, I got to believe they might, there might be a run on this. This is going to be like tickets to a concert. If you're like, because this is every freaking hipster in the city wants to, hey, let me show you what I got in my wallet. Oh, God. Stop it. Stop it, hipsters. No, I don't want to hear about your organic goat cheese. Stop it. Take off those glasses. They aren't even real, they're just designs. Stop it. No, I don't want to see your hammock. Uh, <laughs> if your library location is out, we encourage you to check other library locations. Once they're gone, they're gone. So there you go. If you're wondering why there's a mad stampede at every St. Paul library right now, that's why. I want to give. We talked about this a few times. I want to give a lot of salute to the folks over at Theo Worth. Claire Wilson's phone lit up with text messages on Friday morning as a few flakes of snow fell outside. Anytime there's snowflakes, I get texts from everyone. The director of the Lopit Foundation told Axio she's looked for crews in the park. Wilson could have used more, a lot more text messages this year. Minneapolis is hosting the first World Cup cross-country ski race in the U.S. since 2001. This winter has been the warmest and least snowy on record. That has pushed Wilson to beg and borrow to ensure the proper course for the event. Less than two weeks ago, the race wasn't a sure thing. Wilson staff and volunteers tried to build trails wide and deep enough to satisfy the International Ski Federation. With no wiggle room on dates to venues, cancelling was on the table, but the Federation gave organizations the green light after a a round-the-clock snowmaking. With fewer than eight inches of snow this season and frequent temperatures in the 40s and 50s too warm to make snow... Building Trails has been a Sisyphus, Sisyphean challenge. Nice, Sisyphean. Well done. The Highland Park Reserve donated 24 truckloads of snow, mainly for staging areas that would otherwise be mud. Three Rivers Park District in Ramsey County loaned snowmaking machines. Worth Park Neighborhoods and sponsor Mortensen provided big blankets to cover the snow from rain last week. The whole Nordic Ski Committee has rallied around this. Congratulations, guys. I hope you were able to pull this off. If you can, it's supposed to get cooler. We're supposed to actually have some snow in the metro. Hopefully it doesn't track south, but we might get a little snow there. And it's supposed to be cooler heading into the weekend. So I hope you guys can pull this off. A big salute and and all my prayers to you guys out there. Uh, Native Roots Radio is up next. I'll see you guys tonight at the meet and greet. Until tomorrow, see ya.